welcome to Minute 126 of Season 3 of Movie Around Minute, the daily podcast, where we yippee our way through the 1980 Bruce Willis action flick Die Hard, one minute at a time. I'm Rob, and joining me today is Richard Kirkham of Kirkham, a movie a day, and the current host of the Lambcast. Welcome back to the show for this season, Richard. Hey, glad to join the party, pal. <laughs> It's true. It's true. But, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I, you have some things to answer for. I, of course I do. You know, uh, you want to do a debrief <laughs> now or you want to wait until we're attacked by uh, uh, terrorists? <laughs> no, just by Robinson. You know, we'll, we'll worry about that. <laughs> so minute 126. First of all, th- this this is basically the last full week of the show. So, uh, you know, I'm really excited. I've been having a lot of fun on the other other 125 minutes that I've already done of this movie. And, you know, now we get to do the final week. And then on Saturday and Sunday, I'll have two other different guests in order to, to close out the show. And then starting on next Monday, we'll start with season four, which is still a surprise for anyone who's, who's wondering. You're just going to have to wait around. Maybe on Sunday, my guest and I will uh, talk about it a little bit. Maybe we'll, we'll let the cat out of the bag. But uh between now and Sunday, you're just gonna have to keep guessing. I'll give one hint. It's it's a movie from 1989. That that's that's as much of the hint that I'll give at this point. So minute 126 begins with John finishing his introduction and ends with Al regaining his composure. So first of all, Richard, I, I want to say happy holidays to you because you know yesterday was was Christmas, and uh, you know we finished we finished up Hanukkah yesterday also. So and Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Uh, well, that that's a debate, but we'll 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 talk about that later <laughs> later this week. We'll 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 get there. We'll get there. I'll let I'll let you uh, you know give your thoughts on that. We'll we'll get there. So basically, yesterday we we ended things with John and Holly coming out of Nakatomi. They have like these. Uh, I, I'm, I think they're basically like they're they're fireman jackets that they gave them. You know, they're, they're yeah they're not really blankets or anything like that, but uh, and. John then finally eyes Powell. They they recognize each other for some strange reason. I mean, on, on Friday, Jeanette and I talked a little bit about this, about how it was a bit strange the way that, that the two of them automatically, you know, in a crowd full of lots of people, they're both able to to pinpoint who the other one is. You know, like movie magic. You know, bringing, bringing these two souls together. Uh, you know, in, in the chaos. Uh, chaos. Each other's unspoken language. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I mentioned I mentioned last week that it looked somewhat like a a you know a love story. The way that the two of them look at they they show the two of them looking at each other, and then they end up you know getting close together. But after that that shake of hands, you know that strong shake of hands that they give, they they both give each other a big uh, strong hug too. So uh, you know you can it's it's a dr- for dramatic effect. You know it, it worked, and it ended with uh, John starting to give. Uh, a little bit of an explanation to Al of, of, you know, he goes, Al, this is my, and things got cut up on Friday. So we're going to have to, we had to wait until today to find out what he says. And he continues by saying, this is my wife, Holly. It's about time that he's able to finally introduce her. You know, it took, took a little bit of time for him to do that. <laughs> Al looks at him and acknowledges it in a, in a somewhat strange fashion, but still works. What do you think about the way that he does it? Well, I think, you know, it's significant for a couple of reasons. First of all, he introduces her as Holly Gennaro, and she 
corrects him and uses her married name, which she hadn't been using when she was working there Correct. Uh, at the at the firm. And I think that that's, you know, one of those signals that we have kind of switched the relationship. They've repaired things, at least for the moment, uh, and that uh, as a result, you know, they, they are back together. Uh, yeah. and, and, she, she, and she's trying to clarify that for both of them by correcting him and saying Holly McClain. Right. That's true. I mean, it, it is a culminating moment of the movie by them doing that because of the fact yeah. that that she was adamant throughout the entire well, the first few minutes of the movie where, you know, she's using uh, Gennaro for a reason. You know, it's not something that, you know, she, we, we know there's more to it. It's not just for professional reasons. You know, she she is angry at John. She's having her she has her issues with him regarding the whole aspect of, you know, the way that their relationship has been somewhat estranged for the last uh, uh, six months or whatever it is. And, and that, that has caused some, some problems here, you know? So finally at the end of the movie, she's, she's changed the way she's looking at it a little bit. Well, after everything they've gone through, obviously it kind of puts things in perspective and says, Hey, if we can get through this, we could probably get through our other problems. Right. Which, which apparently they, they were able to. <laughs> At least up to this movie. Oh, uh, yes. 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 But that, that just has to do with the script. There's nothing to do with, uh, you know, with, with what really should have happened with their relationship. But we'll, we'll get there when we get to, you know, Die Hard 2 and Die Hard 3 and Die Hard 4. Uh, and even Die Hard Five has a little bit about it, so we'll we'll, we'll get there eventually. Just uh, you know, stick with us, and uh, you know you'll you'll eventually get some analysis on it. You know now now that we've talked about this in passing over the course of of the entire show, but the name Holly, okay, you know now you know what Holly is, right? What what is Holly? Holly is a. Uh, uh... A plant that is used for uh, well, it's associated with the Christmas season. Correct. It's uh, often used as a decoration, and of course, we also have uh, the phrase "Holly Jolly Christmas." Correct. You know that it goes along with it. So it's another one of those ones that raises when people debate whether or not Die Hard is a Christmas movie. We of course have Holly as a, an issue. Right. That's true. Oh. Now, do you, do you know what? Uh, what tree I forget the what holly the comes from of it is. no do you no. know what the where holly comes from like what tree it is no okay so uh, first of all the name of the, the the official i guess uh latin name is ilex okay which which is a it's it's an oak it's from an oak tree okay it could be from an evergreen or it could be from from what's known as a home oak so the the evergreen is basically you know, the, the, the Christmas, it's a Christmas tree. So there is some sort of connection there too from the whole thing. In the 19th century, they, they still would refer to it, you know, they, they would actually have holly on these oak trees that they would, they would refer to with, like, they'd have like these berries and they would use them in Christmas decoration. You know, they'd take Bows them. Bows of holly. Yes, <laughs> exactly. I, I suspect that I have a holly bush right outside my front door because it sure looks like the kind of thing that you see uh, at Christmas decorations with the red berries and the pointy ends of the leaves. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, not being a botanist, I'm not positive, but. Uh, <laughs> right. 
Okay. No, that, that, that's fair. That. I mean, obviously, we, we've talked about this before, and you just mentioned it also. The name Holly, it, it's it's pretty uh, pretty safe to, a safe bet to say that they chose the name Holly uh, because of the the Christmas theme of the movie or the Christmas atmosphere of the movie. You know, it just it fit in really well with it because in in the original book, the the character's name is Stephanie, not Holly. So you know, they changed that. We'll, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about the book because this scene uh, has a lot to do with what happens in the book. So uh, what now? Her last name is Gennaro. We did, we didn't discuss this. We've discussed the the origins of the name McLean, which was uh, both Irish and Scottish. It's originally Scottish, and part of the clan moved to to Ireland before eventually a lot of them moved to America and stuff like that. We we talked about that uh, uh, probably probably about. Uh, seven or eight weeks ago, so you can go back and listen to those episodes with with Alan. It was it was episode eighty three. That's where we talked about it. Where do you think the where do you think the name Gennaro comes from? Well, Gennaro definitely sounds like it's an Italian origin. Yes, it uh, is. That it is. And uh, and do you know what it means? So that just suggests that it's you know the usual New York uh, cute meet somewhere. You got the Scotch Irish guy who meets the cute Italian girl and they fall in love and. Uh, you know, uh, we have our melting pot of America there yes. in uh, wherever they're living in Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> right. And now, do you know what it, do you have any idea what, it, what Gennaro means? No. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm sure you've, you've heard of the Roman god Janus or Janus. Yes. Okay. Okay. So Gennaro basically means of Janus, Janus, however you want to pronounce that. Um, according to the U.S. Census in 2010, okay, um, how many people do you think were listed with the name Gennaro? In the U.S.? In the U.S. I'm going to take a wild guess and say 15,000. Okay, there's only 1,304 that were that yeah. were listed in the, the 2010. I don't know. It, it's, possible, it's possible that in the decade... You know, after that, in 2020, that the 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 number is closer to what you said, but uh, you know, I I only was able to get information on the 2010 census with that, and it is known as the um, I don't even know how to say this that they have a list there of of the most common surnames in the U.S. and this is ranked 20,382. <laughs> but there are 20,381 other uh, family names. That that uh, that are that have more individuals in the U.S. in 2010 than people named Gennaro. Okay, there are a whole bunch of famous people named Gennaro, real life people, not not fictional characters. Okay, most of them are uh, sports players. Uh, many of them are Italians, for obvious reasons. Um, you know, there's an Italian figure skater. There's a Italian football defender, an Italian volleyball player. Uh, another Italian football goalkeeper. But the one that stood out for me is is someone by the name of Sandy Gennaro, who was born in 1951, and he's an American rock drummer. What band does he play with, or what? who did he play with? Was well, he apparently, a, a apparently, guy? No, apparently he played uh, backup in a lot of different uh, famous people's uh, bands, but not, you know, not consistently. It was something that, uh, you know, he played... Okay, he he toured with uh, 
with Blackjack, The Monkees, Pat Travers, Cindy Lauper, and Joan Jett. It sounds like he's one of those uh, session guys for hire. Apparently, you know they they, they just you know sometimes when you have an act like well like Cindy Lauper, she doesn't have a regular band, and if she's going to go out on tour, she's got to have a, a band. Correct. And so you got to hire somebody to to play drums. Mm-hmm. There you go. There you go. Exactly. So that that was the one that stood out for me of the the twenty or so names that I found. Uh, that were related to Gennaro. Now, do you know any other fictional characters with the name Gennaro besides Holly? Or John Gennaro, if you want to call him that? John uh, McLean Gennaro? Uh, the the closest that jumps out in my head is Genko, but that's from The Godfather. It's not Gennaro. Nope. No, uh, no, no, no. I'll give you so a hint. I, I, I'll give you a hint. It's something that Jay loves. Oh, uh, oh yes, of course. It's it's the lawyer. That's right. <laughs> gets consumed. That is correct. And and I was actually re- from for people who who aren't following what Richard and I are talking about we should in, from, about from Jurassic Park. <laughs> yes, the lawyer in the first Jurassic Park. Now apparently in the novel, the, his character survives, but but due to uh, he, he's <laughs> injured, okay, and and uh, he ends up dying in between the first and second books. Uh, from like blood poisoning or something like that, and apparently a lot of people were very upset that that's how he died in the books. You know, you don't you don't have a quote unquote on screen death of him. You know, it's yeah, just mentioned in passing. Much sense. Yeah, it's but, been a long time since I read the books. It, you know, I read them when they came out, uh, so I don't quite remember. But yeah, let's face it: if you're making a movie, nobody wants to see somebody die of blood poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> you want to see them. Uh, Swallowed whole. That's right. While they're in the, while they're on the can, you know that. <laughs> yes, he he does a very nice job of that. Uh, so yeah, so as as you mentioned before, so John introduces his wife Holly. She, he goes Holly Gennaro. She responds Holly McLean, and then Al says to her, "Hello, Holly." <laughs> you know, very very casually, <laughs> it's just uh, Holly. You got a you got yourself a good man. You take good care of him, which. I don't know. It's it's a little. I don't know. It feels a little forced the way that he says it. You know, it doesn't doesn't come off as. I mean, they need to say something there, but it it to me it doesn't sound as if it was genuine enough. I guess. But they they need to have something there. Well, it was generic enough. Yes, generic enough. Ah, very good, very good, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> you were waiting for that one. You were waiting for that one. I saw that. <laughs> And we can see that Holly is also very, very emotional with this whole uh, scene. And she seems very grateful to John, which I, I have a, I mean, yes, he did save her right now, but I, I don't know. She, she seems now as, you know, the, 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 she, she was a very strong character throughout the entire movie. You know, she never played down to the damsel in distress, but here, this scene, they're, they're making her you know, act out the part of the damsel who was just rescued. Well, let's face it. She's having the after effect reaction that's going on. This is like uh, when people laugh after a scare, uh, you you have uh, kind of the counter emotional reaction that's right. going on here. She, she's been playing it strong. Now she's in a position where she can kind of uh, not say let her hair down, but, you know, 
she can drop her shoulders. She doesn't have to hold her breath the whole time. Right. And that seems like it would be uh, a very natural way to do to relate to your husband who you just went through this traumatic event with. And let's face it, the world is still falling apart behind you. Yes. <laughs> yeah, she doesn't know where she's and going to work on Monday. Even more dangerous. <laughs> She's she's got a lot ahead of her on on Monday when she has to go back to work, especially as the new boss. You know, <laughs> I just got right. a promotion. Exactly. Well, she got the promotion, uh, you know, a while ago with uh, with with Ellis's stupidity. What what minute was that? Uh, minute eighty seven. I don't know. No, that you're very close. Track. That was actually eighty five. Uh, he he was okay. he was shot in eighty five. Uh, because it goes back to the the conversation of what I was talking about with 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 Alan about the um, the, the the history of the name McLean. That was that week where we were we were talking about Ellis, you know, which which subsequently just to let let everyone you know a little behind the curtain. That's those are actually the minutes that are playing this week that are that will be debuting this week that Richard and I are recording. So now you can figure out when we're recording. <laughs> and that's There's also why I know the numbers. <laughs> so, I mean, I was actually thinking, I mean, I, I think you have a very good explanation as to why she's acting the way she is. I mean, I was thinking, is it somewhat related to, you know, some sort of immediate PS, PTSD or things like that? But I, I think your uh, explanation sounds a little better. You know, the adrenaline has worn off. You know, she now doesn't yeah. need to put on a a tough face. And she's she's back with her husband, who she's been estranged from, but she has now realized that maybe she does love him. You know. <laughs> yeah. Well, remember at the start there was some tentative stuff, you know, reconciling. But of course, John sticks his foot in it. You yes. guys have already covered that. Yeah. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. But this is this is the end effect of all of this. You know, we've we've gotten to the end of the story here, and so they they've played out there domestic drama right now it's time for the the happy ending yeah that's true that's right and you know I, I al does a nice job of, of of supporting john here with with the way that he is talking but you know he it's funny how he says to holly you got yourself a good man now how does he know that john's a good man he know that john is good in a fix you know he's a guy who can dispatch terrorists well, they, look, they've had they've had a relationship for the previous few hours over the phone, you know, and over the CB or the the walkie talkies that they've been using. He's got a sense of how John is. They they formed a relationship. It Yeah, it's a brief relationship. But uh, let's face it, they've made some inferences about one another that yeah. suggest that they are good people. You know, they even had a talk at one point about, you know, the kids someday playing together on the swing set, you know, yep. that type of thing. So he, I think it's natural for him to assume that he's a good guy. And let's face it, he just, the kinds of sacrifices he's just made for a bunch of other people. Yeah. Who who does that except somebody who's a good guy? That's true. There is something to that. So a very good point. And at this point, then we, we hear uh, Robinson getting getting back into things. And he, he walks through the crowd and he starts screaming his, his complaints and he goes, McLean. And then we hear like some cop on the ground on the, the way saying, yeah, it's okay. Let him through. And then he goes, McLean, I want a debrief. I want a debriefing. You got some things to answer for Mr. Ellis's murder for one thing, property damage, interfering with police business, 
So it, it's it's pretty comical this this whole idea that this is what he's you know having to to deal with at this point. That you know John just went through hell. He saved the day. You know he he's the he's the reason they knew that there were terrorists in the building. He's the reason that that most of the terrorists are dead. So why is a bureaucrat going to blame him? I mean, they know that it's terrorism. Well, it's officiousness, and uh, it's one of those things. Where it's a pretty standard trope in these kinds of police thrillers that there is always an official who's higher up, who is a by-the-book kind of guy who has to uh, create problems where there aren't really problems because – there's a technical issue that's involved here. You yeah. know, following the line of command, uh, you know, sticking to the letter of the law or the procedures or policies. And of course, they're always wrong yeah, because of the hero <laughs> of the story is the one who knows what the hell is going on that's and can see things from a better perspective. And this is this is just a you know a, a very typical kind of thing. I, I, I watched Bullet earlier this week, uh, and you know we had the same kind of thing, although. Bullet's boss is a lot more supportive, but the uh, the Robert Vaughn character in that is all about, you know, it's got to go my way or the highway kind of thing. Right. And that's one of the reasons that we can't stand him is because he's just a, a officious kind of a-hole. Yeah. And, that, and that's what Paul Gleason's character is here. Yeah, for sure. No question about that. And I mean, and it, it really looks like John's about to slug him. You know, with the the, oh, yeah. the reaction, he, he and then everything changes. You know, we hear shouting, yeah, we hear screaming by the fact that yes. uh, <laughs> this guy is not dead, despite the fact that he's been killed twice before. That's correct. So we hear shouts from behind. Okay, and then the the shot changes, and we see Carl, you know, shirking off uh, like a blanket that they're trying to put on him, and he stands up straight and raises his gun up, aiming it, you know, uh, in like forward in front of him. And then everyone, everyone just reacts real quickly. Everyone crouches down for for cover. You know, we see Al, and he's he grabs his holster. He puts his hand on the holster, and you know, John pushes Holly down and protects her with his own body. We see uh, you know Robinson in the back uh, cower out of the way also, and then the shot goes back to Carl, and we see him ready to shoot. And then they, you know, then this is very cinematic what they do here. They just give a shot of a revolver that is completely focused on the revolver and the revolver takes five shots. And I was just going to say, this is, this is a crossover line, you know, did he fire six shots or only five? (laughs) Well, he, wait, he shoots five in a row and, and we can see that three of them hit Carl because there are all these uh, blood splatters. You know, from the squibs that 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 uh, Alexander Goodenough must have on him. You know, and I I love seeing the 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 look on Carl's face. His like eyes roll back, and you see the the blood on his face. And you know what it reminded me of? Something that I think you 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 you're you're a fan of also. Um, he looked to me like like R- Ricardo Montalbain's Khan. You know, in the end. Oh, I can see that. You know, he's because he's kind of bloodied and his face is like covered half of his head half of his face and is hair's a little matted yeah, yeah. i can see i exactly. can see what you're talking about there and then at that point we get the sixth shot that's when we hear the the final shot that that rings out from the gun 
And with that final shot, that's the one that Carl is just like completely hurled backwards by all the momentum. You know, the other shots that hit him made him made him move a little bit, but this one just made him fly. You know, uh, the the stuntman got to actually fly backwards from that one. Um, and then we we get another shot of the gun as it's being lowered, and the focus changes from the shot of the gun to us seeing who's at the other end holding the gun, and that that's Al. And I mean, they 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 do a nice job of showing the the uh, cathartic aspect of it for, you know, for Al to, to get over his yeah, that's issues. his moment of redemption. Yeah. You know, he, he still looks like he's in shock that this is what he did, you know, which, which works. Right. You know, and the, the music then swells and we get like very powerful, dramatic music uh, uh, happening. And, and I don't know why, maybe it's just because I made the mention about Khan before, but listening to that music, it, it, it's not James Horner. Who does it here? But it sounds like the 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 music from the Rather Com. Yeah, it does have some horns that seem like they're trumpeting up. Yeah, it sounds very similar to uh, what is it called? The the Marabi Ter- uh, Nebulous. I'm, I'm trying to remember the name of the of the the suite from from Wrath of Khan, which is I love it. It's like a ten or eleven minute. The Matari Nebula. Yeah. Yeah. So it just, to me, it sounded a little bit like that. Again, it could just be because, you know, I was making this connection to Khan beforehand, but it, it, it does sound a little bit like that. You know, and then we see John still on the ground. He looks up in, in somewhat uh, shock and wonderment at Al as to what he's done there. And, and then, you know, Al starts to regain his composure as the, the, the minute, you know, comes to an end. So, I mean, this is actually you know, a pretty action-packed minute. You know, so much is going yes. on. You know, that, that last, this the second uh, 30 seconds of this is, is really powerful because it's it's the ending of everything. I mean, but it makes me ask the question that how did nobody notice that, you know, Carl came out holding a gun? You know, if they're putting a blanket on him, so someone must have noticed that he's holding a gun? You think if he had a Kalashnikov or an AR-15 or a M-16 under his uh, arm, somebody would have said, "That's not a crutch. What are you doing?" Exactly. Well, he doesn't have any of those. It's a it's a it's it's a European gun that he uses there, but uh, I, I can't remember offhand right now what it is. It's it's everyone else uses uh, MP5s. Uh, all the terrorists use MP5s that John gets to use, and that we talked about last week. The the reason they chose to use MP5s was that so that because MP5s and the the handgun that John uses both use nine millimeter bullets. So this you, this why have you, guys, if you he was I able to listen to all of your episodes. Did you go back and talk about the choices of weapons? Because there's a site that you can go to that talks about the weapons that are used in movies. Yeah. And gives background on all of them. Gives background on, on the weapons themselves or gives background on yes. why the movie itself chooses to use that weapon? On the weapons themselves. Yeah, okay, right. We, we talked about that. We talked about MP5 yeah. uh, okay. a long time ago. Yeah, that we did. But again, the, what, what I was starting to say is that last week, one of the things that we talked about, or actually it was, it was two weeks ago because it was on Friday two weeks ago with, uh, with, with Heather, not with, uh, not with Jeanette last week, that we talked about the fact that, that – the the reason they used MP5s is because MP5s use nine millimeter bullets, and the 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 handgun that John uses 
also has a nine millimeter bullet. And that's how they were able to get through the ploy of him putting, you know, taping the gun to his back and using the two bullets because he had one bullet from each from each gun left, which is also improbable. But whatever you you and I, uh, you know, have, have shot guns before. So so we know that that it's very improbable. You're shooting a, either an automatic or a semi-automatic weapon and you're going to have one bullet left, you know. <laughs> So you have to be very careful in your counting. Yes. 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 Well, actually this time, like I said, they, I counted six bullets total. So, you know, that Al was fine. You know, it's a good thing that, that he finally got uh, Carl to fall down because otherwise he would have been in trouble. <laughs> so do you have anything else you want to say about this minute before we get into the script? No, I'm good. Uh, you know, th this is, I think this is uh you know, it's one of those stinger climaxes. We've had the, the big climax of the film. Hans Gruber's fallen down. The plot's been defeated. Uh, everything's settling down. And we've got to get a stinger at the end to add a little bit extra punch right at the conclusion of the movie. That's standard action movie stuff, standard horror film stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and so it, it, and it as improbable as it is, it's still fun. Yeah, for sure. No question about that. So the, the script actually has a lot of differences. Most of the, most of the movie we talked about the script, there wasn't that many differences. But but this particular minute, the final the uh, the second the final minute of uh, I guess screen time, you know, of the characters is, is there's a lot that that that's going on. So first of all, John introduces his wife as Holly Gennaro, and then it says Holly taking Powell's hand corrects him and says Holly McLean. Hearing this, McLean grins and pulls her closer. And then Powell says to her, a pleasure. I guess John doesn't need me to give you that message anymore. Holly looks puzzled and says, message? McLean begins to make silent ixney gestures in Powell's direction. You know, the whole, uh, you know, he's, he's, you can see what I'm doing now. You know, like, yeah, no, yeah. you don't need to do that. But, and, uh, you know, put, uh, I guess running your finger across your, your neck type of thing. And, and then it says, Powell, Powell says, you know about him being such a jerk and how he's really sorry. And then he sees McLean and says, uh, I'm sure he'll fill you in. And then Robinson shows up. It's pretty much word for word, word for word what he says. And then we see the, the screw, then we hear the scream and everyone turns and this is there in the doorway is Carl clothing, clo clothing and body scorched easily as crusted in dirt and blood as McLean. He holds his machine gun. As the crowd panics, trying to escape, Carl locks eyes with McLean and levels his gun. McLean throws Holly to the ground and grabs the drum, the, the dumbstruck Robinson's sidearm, but he doesn't get off a shot. A lone gunshot stops Carl, knocking him back through the doorway. McLean looks back to see Powell still sighting down the barrel of his thirty-eight. His hand is rock steady. He sees McLean's look. Powell shrugs. You were right. You couldn't have made it without me. So... <laughs> Again, none of this is really needed. I think they do do a better job in the way that the final uh, the final cut comes out. Well, th I think this is one of those things where you you've got a uh, director who understands how a movie's supposed to work. Uh, they're in the scene doing things. They've got, they're making changes as they're filming it, and those you know I know that there are some writer directors who like the Cohen brothers, the script is the script. You don't deviate from the fricking script. And uh, uh, Aaron Sorkin, of course, is very particular about those kinds of things. 
But I think most people who are directors and they didn't write the script themselves on this, on this, on the set, you see, this is too complicated. This is distracting. This doesn't work in the scene. Let's simplify it here. And that's exactly what they did here. Correct. Completely. So in, in the, the novel that this takes place, so they, they have a character based on, they have a Robinson character. Okay. Mm -hmm. And they have an Al Powell. Al Powell is much younger and Al Powell is the one who ends up shooting, uh, uh, the, it's not, it's not, his name is not Carl in the, in, in, in the, in the book. Um, trying to remember the, the name of the character in the book. It doesn't, doesn't really make a difference, but Dwayne T. Robinson actually gets killed in this, in this shootout. You know, Carl's character ends up shooting, uh, Dwayne T. Robinson, which, uh, in some ways, you know, uh, lets us, uh, find out, you know, that, that, uh, maybe it was, uh, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe he was deserving of getting killed. You know? Yeah. I think, I think that would have been a bummer ending. Yeah. Actually, you know, the, the, Carl, that character is kind of a comic relief character yeah. throughout most of the film and, you know, having it end with uh, him dying would just be, and eh, no, no, that's, so whoever adapted right. the screenplay from the book made a good choice there. <laughs> right. I mean, the I actually just looked up the character. The character of Carl actually is Carl. His name is Carl. But Carl's brother, who was killed, was named Hans in the book. And the the lead bad guy's name is, is Tony. You know, Tony, uh, Anton, little Tony, the red Gruber. <laughs> you know, that's who it is. And, I mean, in the, in, in the novel the the characters there to save his daughter and his daughter actually falls out the window with uh with with Gruber at the end you know it's the 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 the, the novel is a little uh, is 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 much darker than, than 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 the movie ends up being yeah it sounds like it but, uh, like i said Dwayne T. Robinson get, gets killed so you know I, I remember when i read the book i was like what i can't believe they killed him because uh, you know he just didn't the the character doesn't need to die it's it's right. uh, it's unnecessary to to add that in there, but uh, I I guess that's why they decided to change it here. <laughs> it would make sense. Every Monday we have a segment called Die Hard on a Monday, where my guests will give their top five Die Hard doppelganger films. Uh, as as we all know, Die Hard has been a it created a genre, and therefore there have been dozens, if not uh, hundreds of movies that have tried to follow in its footsteps over the last 40, 34 years. And most of them don't come close, but there are some that do. So, Richard, what do you think are the five best uh, diehard doppelganger films? Start with your number five and work your way up. Well, I, I'm not, I didn't necessarily rank them by the best. I ranked them by my enjoyment. Okay, them. right. Your favorite. So, your favorite. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number five is uh, Die Hard with a Kid. Home Alone. There you go. You know, we've got uh, the kid uh, basically taking on the terrorists in his own home and uh, being successful. That's a lot of fun. It's the, it's the same kind of theme. Uh, and uh, although the violence doesn't result in the same sort of mayhem, it still uh, is uh, pretty damn violent if you think about it. Yes, <laughs> that it is. All right. And number four is the first of Die Hards on a Plane that I want to suggest. And it's not Passenger 57. 
It's uh, Executive Action. Ah, okay. With uh, with Kurt Russell mm-hmm. and uh, Executive Decision, uh, isn't it? The executive Decision. Executive, yes, executive Action is is the uh, assassination film. Yeah. Executive Decision. Um, with Kurt Russell and Steven Seagal's in it for like five minutes. More or less. Also. Yeah. You know, and I, I like that one because it's, you know, it, it, it's complicated because they are on a plane. Uh, and and they they go at it in a very different way than you would imagine. And I, I'm a Kurt Russell fan, so I can I can I can live with any of those other kinds of uh, stretches of the imagination. Uh, my number three is the one that most people are familiar with, Die Hard on a Bus. So that's Speed. Mm-hmm. And uh, Keanu Reeves is, you know, he was made for these kinds of movies. He's not, he doesn't have a huge range as an actor, but he he has found his sweet spot, and uh, this is the start of it. It yeah. works really well here, and I think almost everybody agrees. Uh, one of the big jokes, I, I think you probably know, I... I still have my Laserdisc collection. Speed is the most widely sold, least collected Laserdisc there is. Speed is in everybody's Laserdisc collection, wow. and nobody wants to have it because it's so – it's it's what they call a um, – uh, oh, I, I, there's a phrase that they use on in my community – it's 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 I am I'm sorry this is old man stuff where it's happening here where I can't find the <laughs> the phrase it's a common it's it's like the most common because everybody has speed in their collection oh wow so it's not highly collectible because everybody has it already interesting uh, number my, two, my favorite my favorite my favorite piece of trivia about speed is that uh, you probably watched the TV show uh, Mad About You. With Paul Reiser and Helen yes. Hunt, so there was an yes. there's an episode. Uh, I, I can't remember right now which episode it is, but there's an episode where he's going through his wallet and taking out all these these little pieces of paper that he has in there, and you know like you know like we all do that. We put stuff in your wallet and you, you don't see it for years. Sure. And he's like cleaning out his wallet and he picks up a piece of paper and goes, "Bomb on a bus. If you go below fifty, it blows up." He goes, "I I should have used it when I had the when I had the chance." <laughs> he had the idea. <laughs> well, you say stuff in your wallet. In my wallet right now is my ticket stub from this last week. <laughs> <laughs> and I've got two or three of them sitting there. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, but those don't, those, those, those don't sit, sit around for, for, for years. Little Not in your wallet. A piece of paper, a little ephemera. Yeah, do, do, you do you keep them? Do you collect them? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I got a box that they all go in. Ah, but it's just in a box. Okay. It's not like they're in 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 any regular order. No, it's not like I can say to no. you, okay, you know, take out the you know the last time you saw Jaws. I don't know, whatever. And you you no, have to no, search I, through I, this. I whole couldn't box. do that. I couldn't do that. So you got to order. You got to organize them. I, one of these. When days. I was a kid, when I was a kid, the tickets were the kind that came out end to end, and you just pulled apart. It was like a, a raffle yeah. ticket. Yeah, like, like when you when and, you play skee ball, what comes out? Those. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And I would stick those in my wallet, and I went into uh, the movie one time, and the, they thought I had snuck into the movie, and they said, uh, can you show me your ticket stub? And I said, well, and I pulled out a fistful of 40 or 50 of these ticket stubs that I've been sticking in my wallet, and I said, which one is it? <laughs> <laughs> did they did they kick you out? No. no. Okay. They just shrugged their shoulders and said, I guess it's okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I look like I must have been a regular enough customer. Apparently. <laughs> Apparently. Number two is uh, Die Hard on uh, a prison island. Uh, that would be the rock. There you go. And let's face it, you've got uh, Nicolas Cage and Sean Connery. And James Bond. That's enough to make anybody uh, happy about uh, a movie. And even though it's, you know, full of Michael Bay cliches, it's still a lot of fun. Yeah. And then my favorite, the one I thought, well, I would spend the most time talking about is uh, Die Hard on Air Force One, which is Air Force One. Yes. <laughs> the Wolfgang Peterson film. Look, I'm an I'm a fan of uh, political movies. I'm a fan of action movies. This is a combination of political action movies. They've got a great cast in it. Uh, the uh, Glenn Close is the vice president. She's down on the ground. Uh, Dean Stockwell is the secretary of defense, trying to tell her what for. Uh, you know, Gary Oldman is the villain. I love Gary Oldman. It's great. He's you know chewing up the scenery and spitting while he's talking. <laughs> He does that spit acting yeah. that they talk about. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it, it's a lot of fun. And then there's just a lot of character actors in it that you see all the time. Uh, that's a lot of fun, too. And, of course, Harrison Ford's the star of the movie. And how how do you beat that? Harrison Ford as the president, if only. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, I don't know if now he would still be, you know, back then, 20 years ago, you know, 20, 25 years ago, it would have been more conceivable wanting to have him as the president you know he's not to get political but he, but you know he's he's almost 80 <laughs> hey so no i i know going? i know that's my point here <laughs> that is the point i'm making <laughs> and which one's sharper i i i don't know i mean look bruce willis is 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 in I, his i think harrison ford is an 80 year old indiana jones is more believable than uh Joe Biden is an 80-year-old president. <laughs> All right. Again, we're not going political here. We're just trying to stay away from that. We won't play that card. No, 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 no. No problem because, uh, you know, we're, we're just going to get people angry, you know, because you, you and I you and I have similar ideas about these things. So that, that's fine. You're not going to get me angry. So don't worry about okay, that. Okay, good. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> all right. So, Richard, you want to tell people how they can get in touch with you? Well, I'm available all all kinds of places online. My uh, site is Kirkham a Movie a Day. I've got a Blogspot site and the Doppelganger site on WordPress. Uh, it's easy to find if you just Google it that way. Last name is K-I-R-K-H-A-M, easy to find. I also host the Lambcast, a weekly podcast of uh, movie aficionados and fans uh, from the large association of movie blogs, which has over 2,000 members. We've got maybe... Uh, a couple hundred people who are active on the site. And uh, like uh, you, Rob, you know, we've got the, the podcast that goes up on a regular basis. Yours has been off for a little while, but mine's a weekly one and uh, we have a lot of fun there. And so you can find me on the Lamb site. That's largeassmovieblogs.com. Um, and uh, I have a Facebook page also where I, I just post links to the movie reviews that I do. I have a YouTube channel as well. Uh, but uh, the YouTube channel, I only post occasional movie reviews. Most of the stuff that's on there are student speeches from the last 15 years, 20 years <laughs> of my career. So you probably don't want to go there. 
All right. Thanks for that. And while you're doing that, go rate, review, and subscribe. And podcatcher might be using to listen to the show. Finding me is quite easy. All you do is just a quick search for Move Around Minute. You can find me on my website, movearoundminute.com. You can find me on Twitter, and you can find me on Facebook. All right. I mean, uh, if if this is their idea of Christmas, i got to be here for New Year's. So uh, yeah. until tomorrow, yippee-ki-yay. yippee ki 